Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Well, good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. We're glad that you are with us. I get to lead alongside of my wife, Lee. Anyone in here really loving the time change? Like you're like, I love losing an hour of sleep. Yeah, sure, Jordan. I know what time you showed up. it, It sucks, right? It sucks. Okay, if you want an incentive to be more involved at Collective and go to Next Steps and join a team, do you know how we celebrated as a team? We were here early. Kevin was here at seven, which is really six, and he made us breakfast burritos. So the whole team feasted. So if you notice some of us nodding off, it's because we consumed a significant amount of food in the morning. That's the way to do it. I was like, we gotta do this every time change Sunday. Like, I'm like, I feel all the way jacked up because I ate a bunch of breakfast sausages and some like fermented hot sauce. I don't know, but it tasted awesome. (laughs) We're in a series called The Way of Jesus, and this week we're looking at a passage in Luke 11 at Jesus teaching his disciples and teaching us how to pray. I don't know what you're like. Like, I want you to know that this is one of those churches where we like to be honest, and so for me, I'll be honest, sometimes I struggle with prayer. Like sometimes for me, prayer is difficult because we have people on our team that are on the prayer team and are gifted for prayer. And when they pray, it is so beautiful and poetic. And I find myself, if I'm not not careful, I compare my clunky, awkward-sounding prayers to theirs. And I'm like, how come I can't pray quite like that? I have some friends when they pray, I was like, I'm convinced God hears you more. Like, I'm sure of it. Now, I know that's not how it works, but you feel that comparison where you, where you feel this, this sense of, I, I think you do it better than I do. Or maybe, and for me, another struggle I have is yours is going, I hear of these people that pray for like three and a half hours, and I, I, I get about three minutes, and two of those are silent time. Like, two of those minutes are me just going, okay, God, I'm, I'm listening. I got one minute in me of prayer. Like, Sometimes I struggle with that because I go, these other people that have these beautiful prayers that seem to last, and how come for me sometimes it seems to be so difficult? All of us have areas of prayer that kind of confront things in us, challenges for us, and Jesus provides an example for us. In Luke 11, he provides an example that seems simple, and the beauty is in its simplicity we actually discover complexity. There is a simplicity in the way that he prays that actually changes our perspective as we pray. And it's important to acknowledge that prayer is actually us coming to the place of realizing we need God in every single area of our life. Prayer acknowledges that our need for God is total. It is not partial. It is not one of those things that you go, God, I kind of need you, like, I don't know, between... 10 and 11 on a Sunday, but otherwise, I think I'm good. Prayer shifts our perspective to go, God, I need you. 
in every area of my being, in every moment of my day. I need you. We want to be people that recognize our need for God is total in every single areas of our life. And I want you to know that as you find yourself comparing, you compare, how come when I pray it sounds like this, or how come other people pray? When you feel like your prayers are simple, I want you to know that they are just as powerful. And when you feel this sense of comparison, I want you to know that is not from God. God is not looking at you going, if you could pray more like that other person, then I'd love you more. I know that's the lie. Like, I know sometimes you feel like that, going, if I could just, then maybe I. It's not how that works. We actually get to come to God with everything that we have, our real self. I want you to know, if you hear nothing else, that God wants you. He wants your prayers. He wants your heart on display. He does not want someone else. God wants to hear from us, all our inner hurts, all our frustrations, all our doubts, all our celebrations, all our wins, all the areas that we go, I don't know about this. He wants all of us, every single area of our life. And he's saying, I want you to bring it to me. You don't have to hide. You don't have to hold back. You don't have to feel like I'm looking at you going, no, I can't handle that. I want all of it. And here's what that actually looks like. It looks like sometimes praying prayers that are like stream of consciousness, where you're praying and you're like, oh, I don't know, God, I just need some help and I'm not sure what to do, God. And you feel like, I don't even know where I'm going, but I just, I'm kind of just letting my brain un... God goes, yeah, bring those. And then he also wants us in comparison to just pray these prayers. God, help. And neither one of those God looks at and goes, well, that's a better prayer. Both of them, he goes, is that just, if that's what's on your heart, bring that. Come to me. Prayer is an ongoing, two-way conversation with God. Now, sometimes we don't treat it that way. We don't treat it as two-way. We're like, I'm going to ask for God, and then I'm just going to expect that he does stuff. But there's a two-way element that we need to ask, and we need to pray, and we also need to listen. And sometimes we get it out of order. Or if I'm just being honest, sometimes I get out of order. I'm like, God, give me more stuff, and I want this, and help me, and answer my prayers. And also, like, thanks and stuff. You know, like you, you, you notice this tendency to think about us. And I think sometimes we do. We tend to ask more than we tend to celebrate and thank and in gratitude come to him and go, thank you for what you are up to. Sometimes as we pray, we just find ourselves not sure what we're doing. Like sometimes when you're around people that have been Christians for a while, you're like, man, they just know how to pray. They must have just known instinctively and clearly God doesn't work in my life, but prayer is also a learned thing. Like, it is a conversation, it is language, it's, it's speaking to God. No one looks at a little tiny kid and goes, you better speak in full sentences to start. You better sound eloquent and, no, they're learning and they're saying stuff like, dad, dad, no, like whatever. And you're like, wow, that's so amazing as they're learning, we need to give ourselves some room, we learn. But Jesus doesn't just go figure it out. He also teaches us. He teaches the disciples, and by extension, he teaches us. He helps us to learn how to pray. And in this passage, Jesus gives them, gives the disciples, one disciple especially, a short prayer to help them, a short way of, of highlighting what it looks like to pray. And Luke records it. And if you're reasonably familiar with the Bible, you might 
hear this and go, it seems like it's missing some things. That's because there's another account. So in the life of Jesus, there are four different books, four different authors that write the account of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the Gospels. And so each of them has different, sometimes same thing, but different emphasis. And so Matthew has a longer version of this prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Luke has a shorter version. So in case you're looking at this going, I think you're missing some stuff. No, in Luke, he, he has a, more, a, a shorter version of this prayer. Now, for any of us like me that sometimes struggle with attention, this is good. Because we see, okay, there's a lot packed in here. And I want to remind you that in this kind of prayer, this is not Jesus saying, just pray this verbatim and then everything will be good. God will be like your genie. He'll give you whatever you want. Then it'll be perfect. It's like, the, it's like when you're playing old video games and you have to go left, 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 up, up, up for the cheat code. Like this is your cheat code. That is not it. Okay, not a cheat code. Sometimes there is room, and I think that in the, the tradition that I grew up in the church, we never had where we prayed the same prayer other than like our prayers at supper. We didn't have the same consistent prayer, and so sometimes it is valuable for us to pray this as it is. But it's not intended to stay there. It's intended to help us to shift our perspective and to understand how to pray differently. It's actually to invite us to live yielded lives that are reshaped by God. And so Luke 11, 1 to 4 says this. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Let's pray. God, I pray that in these moments that you'd speak. Whatever baggage we have with you and with prayer, whatever we're walking in with, maybe we we're not even sure we believe that you exist. Maybe we think that you're disinterested. Whatever that is, God, I believe that you see each one of us. And you look at us and you love us. And so invite us closer. May we just see a glimpse of you. Even today, through me, through this imperfect person, would you speak powerfully? We need you. I need you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. So notice at the beginning, once Jesus was in a certain place praying... And as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, we see something here that is so significant. If you're part of the team, uh, you know that this is a huge part of who we are at Collective. We see a posture of learning, of growing. Like, we see a disciple that's not just recognizing, you know what, I'm not so good with the prayer. Uh, hopefully that works itself out. We see someone that actually comes to Jesus and goes, Help me. This posture of learning is not one we graduate from. As Christians, we don't get to a point where they go, I'll take it from here, I'm good. We're always learning, we're always growing, we're always inviting Jesus to show us areas where we can grow and develop and change. And so this disciple is willing. He's willing to hear from Jesus. And Jesus responds and he says, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. Now, even in that first word, Father, we find a sticking point for many of us. 
Like some of us have had amazing dads and some of us have not. Some of us have had dads that have abandoned us. Some of us have had dads that abused us. Some of us have had dads that have, that have disappointed us, that have been disinterested in us. And what we sometimes forget is that the way that we look at God is through the lens of our dad, which is sometimes really stressful. But sometimes we look at God and we think about our own dad and we project that on to God. Some of us ruminate on words that our dads have carelessly spoken in our lives and we think that's how God sees us. And so we're going, yeah, 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 we're supposed to pray, but we're hung up on the fact that God's actually our father and I don't know if I feel good about that. I don't know if that actually draws me closer. I don't know if that actually invites me to be honest with God. I have these moments as a parent. We have two kids, and uh, the weight of parenting weighs on me. Like, I have these moments that I'm like, man, I could do everything right, and still, if I just, like, am a normal human being, my kids have issues and trauma and wounding and difficulties and internal voices that we don't want. That, like all these parts in the weight of being a parent. Moments where I'm frustrated or I'm tired or I'm hangry and I say something and it, and it sits differently with my kids. Like I look at my own parents and I think it wasn't the big things were significant, but sometimes it was the little things that they said that actually stuck with me. And then you think about it in your own life, and you're like, I can read all the parenting books, read all the parenting blogs, watch all the videos, do everything intentional, and still, in my humanity, harm my kids. I can still, as a dad, not perfectly represent God, the Father. Why? Because I'm not perfect. God, who is perfect, I am not a total representation of him. Anyone in the room who is a dad, we are not the perfect representation of God the Father. And I think about it as I interact with them. Like especially in this, in this age where most of us are addicted to our phones. Like if you're in here and you're like, you're not addicted to your phone, maybe you should come up and you should, you should speak. Because I go, I like to be like, oh, no, I'm fine. And then I find myself, as my kids are with me, that I'm like, well, I'll just check a couple things. Like, you watch something, and you're like, who's that voice actor? And suddenly I'm on Wikipedia reading something. Who cares? And they want to be present with me, and what am I? I'm distracted. And what are they seeing? And they're not saying, like, Dad, how come you're on your phone? Though that's coming. They're watching that I'm with Dad, but Dad is distracted. I've been, uh, and this is, this is just in my own life, I've increasingly gone like, I don't, I don't want that. Like there's all this research from Silicon Valley that the guys that make or the people that make all the technology don't give their kids cell phones or social media. And I'm like, you know, that's probably not a good sign. Like that they're like, hey, this is not great for us, so we're not even gonna give our kids, but we're gonna make all our money from you. And I'm like, oh, man. And I, I feel this weight of some of that, and I think about what does that look like for us moving forward, and I think that this distractedness, that this sense of going like, I'm not really present, and my kids seeing that, I think sometimes that's how we view God. 
That we go, God is disinterested and distracted. He has so many more important things going on. When I come to him, he's like, yeah, yeah, Tyler, I'll get to that later, but I have some emails to send. Like, yes, I'm in control of the whole universe, but I'm busy, I've got a lot on my plate. Okay, life moves fast, so if you can just wait. Like, we come to God and we go, God, I need you, and we bring our own stuff and go, but probably you don't really care or you don't really want to listen to me. And I, I think about what that means for us and the impact that that has on how we pray. I want to remind you that God is our perfect heavenly father. I had it even today. It wasn't even, I, I was thinking about the times that we're watching something and my kids come close, but I had it today. We did our, our huddle and uh, Ava just comes over and she's like, can I just sit on your lap? Now, when your kid says that, I I mean, I guess if you're really angry at them, or sometimes my kids sit on their lap and they fart, and then so I'm like, get off my lap. But for the most part, I'm like, get close. Like, I want to wrap my arms around her, and I just find myself, like, I, fa- I don't know if you're a parent, and if this is weird and oversharing, I don't care. I-, I hold her, and I'm like, I can smell her hair, and I just go like, man, I love her. Like, she drives me nuts, and then she's the greatest, you know, like I look at that when my son and he comes over and he gets in close and I'm thinking, wow, I can't believe I get to be his dad in moments of complete health. And that is a glimmer of what God thinks about you. Like a tiny little glimpse. And I have these moments as a dad that I'm more and more aware of how deeply God loves us and I'm more aware of my own inadequacy. You come to God when you pray and he goes, get in close. Like I delight in you. How often do we pray like that? Like pray and actually believe that he is delighting in us, that he sees us and goes, yeah, I know. You got work in progress, but man, if you just understood how much I loved you. This should be how we approach God, like the kids that just want to cuddle and get in close. God loves us and he desires closeness with us. No barriers, no fears, no hesitation, no holding back. But we also see here that God is father, but he's also set apart. Jesus says, Father, may your name be kept holy. And what I notice is we can operate on a pendulum. So on one hand, we're like, like, God does not want to be close to me. He's disinterested. He's distant. And so we're like, I'll just keep at arm's length. And the other side is that we become so careful or careless and flippant that we're like, whatever. God, yeah, that's nice. I'll give you a little bit of my time, but I don't really care. I don't really want to surrender. And so we miss out and we go extremes where we're so careless that that God is just another thing in our life and not someone whose name should be kept holy. Yes, he's our father. And also, he is so far beyond us that it it should cause us to be in awe of him. The way that we speak about God reflects how we view him. It reflects whether we view him in his full majesty or whether we're careless with our words. The way that we prioritize our time with him reflects whether we treat him the way that we should treat him or whether we treat him like he doesn't really matter and he's a cast off and not really God. 
He is worthy. He is majestic, and he is worthy of our honor. Now, God is honored when we are faithful to his words and when we actually take them seriously and do them. God is dishonored when we treat his words as simple suggestions that we just explain away and go, I'm not going to do that. He's dishonored when we speak carelessly about him and what he's inviting us into. And so when we pray, we can lean in close. We lean in close with no fear, but also understand that he is absolutely worthy of all honor and has complete authority in our lives. We have this, this, we hold this intention, this beautiful part of going, God wants us to know him, and also he is mysterious and incredible, and we are invited closer into that. And what prayer does is it realigns us, and it puts God in the right place. It puts him first, above our job, our bank account, and even our family. And we go, you are my heavenly father, And I want to keep your name holy. I want to make sure that my eyes are fixed on you, that you are at the very top, that you are first. Sometimes that's hard for us, and it changes our perspective as we continue to revisit it. And then Jesus continues, may your kingdom come soon. This reminder that we are, as Christians, we are kingdom bearers, that we are ushering in the kingdom of God. And we declare that there is a day coming where Jesus will make it all right. Make everything as it should be. Set everything in its place. Everything that was designed intentionally will operate the way that it was intended. There is a day coming when everything will be as it should be as God designed it. We as kingdom bearers get to usher that in. But we also live in the tension of the now and not yet. I don't know if you've looked around, but our world is not perfect. And so we get to be pockets of community that represent the kingdom of God and then entrust him with bringing his kingdom here and now. And living in the kingdom is living a yielded life, a trusting life where you're willing to actually allow God to lead. May your kingdom come in us, in our city, in our region, in our province, in our country, in our world. May your kingdom come. And not just may your kingdom come. Jesus says, may your kingdom come soon. Where everything would come into alignment with how God intended it to be. Wholeness and healing in every single area of everybody's life and existence. This is what we want, and we want it to come soon. So often we're looking for God's purposes. And this kingdom represents God's purposes fulfilled in every single person around us. God, we look to you and we desire for everything to be made right. And we also have this sense of urgency. We want it to be soon. We want you to work soon and bring your kingdom. We want your kingdom to come. Now, we're, we're two verses in, and I want to point out something that's interesting. So we're halfway through the prayer, right? Halfway through the prayer, and I don't know if you've noticed something significant, but we're halfway through the prayer with, before we ever get to us and what we want and what we're asking for and our preferences. We're halfway through, and we're just focusing on him. We're putting him in his right place. 
We're acknowledging what we hope for with him, what we're inviting him into. We're drawing close and also understanding that he is majestic and worthy of our praise, that we reorient our perspective before we ever get to us. And I don't know about you, but I often rush to me. I'm praying, and it's like my first, like, so God, thanks, but also if you could just, like, I'm like, quickly, I did the grateful thing. I was grateful for six and a half seconds. Now I'm going to pray for 30 minutes about me. Jesus' invitation is to reorient our perspective. Because I, I just don't think we need more of that. I don't think we need more prayers that are just about us. Like, let's be honest, we live in a culture that is obsessed with us. And incredibly self-centered and, and selfish and self-driven and self-focused culture. And I'm one of the chief of them. Like, I'm very aware, outside of the grace of God, that I would live in a way that would just be all about me. Me, 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 me. What do I want? What do I, what do I want right now? I want, and, and the struggle. And so this prayer is significant because it shifts us. It can't just be about me. It can't just be about what I want. And yet it's in contrast to the central operating procedure of the world around us. The central message that we live in, I want what I want right now, and I don't want it to cost me anything. I want what I want, I want my preferences, I want, my, I want what's comfortable for me, and I don't, I don't wanna wait for it, work for it. I don't wanna work for it. Sacrifice for it? No way, I want it right now, and I want it to cost me nothing. I want it to be easy and just really self-centered. But then this kind of prayer that Jesus models is something different where it puts God at the center and it lifts our eyes up. So often we spend all our time looking inward and God's going, lift up and look at me. We see him in his rightful place, his rule, his reign. And then in verse three, then we ask, give us each day the food we need. God, provide for us. We have needs we need food. We need sustenance in our bodies. And so in our case, we need money to be able to buy food. God, provide for us. And so each day we pray, God, give us what we need today. We need you to provide for us. But it also presupposes on the other side as Christians that we actually believe that he is the one that does provide. I mean, this is why we're generous. This is why we, we give. We don't give just to give other people money or, or to keep things going. We give because we understand as Christians, we tithe because we know, okay, it's all God's anyway. Like he's provided. And so when I'm giving to the church, it's not like I'm just giving. For, I'm actually going, God, I trust you. You're my provider. I wanna live like you asked me to live. I want my money to be in, entrusted with you. You're the one that provides, like the job that I have, it's from you. Thank you, God. Thank you for all that you do. You continue to provide for me. I don't hold on to it like this. Instead, I have this, this perspective where I go, God, I need to receive and I also wanna give. I wanna live an open-handed life. In another translation, the same verse says, give us this day our daily bread. If you grew up in the church or you've been around, that might be the one that you're like, That's what, I know that one. Give us this day our daily bread. 
And it's an echo to this moment in history where the Israelites, God's chosen people, were wandering in the desert. And they're wandering and they are hungry. They're not just hungry, they are hangry. They are miserable. And they're like, oh, we're so, we should just go back to slavery, that'd be better. And God goes, "Um, I think you forgot that I'm your provider and so I'm gonna remind you. And so he sends them something called manna. Every single day, manna falls and they have enough. But there's something really interesting happens with the manna. The manna doesn't keep. They can't put it in Tupperware containers. They can't put it in the refrigerator and have it the next day. It's like a one-day thing. Why? Because God is continually reminding them and us, I don't just provide for you once. I'm providing daily for you. Like I'm giving you your breath. I'm actually in control. Because the tendency is this as Christians. We go, I know you did it before, but I don't know if you'll do it again. Like I trusted you. I'm not sure if I trust right now. And God goes, trust me again today. Trust me again today. Trust me again today. Give us this day our daily bread every single day. Provide for us, God. We need you. Daily trust can be so hard, but that is the invitation that we have to actually watch him at work. And as we live like that and pray like that, we remind ourselves that God is our provider. And then we continue to ask him to provide for us. And then in verse four, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So provide for us and then forgive us our sins. Now sin is a term that that can be weaponized that maybe you've you've heard. And and it's actually, sin is an archery term. So if you've ever seen a, a bullseye, there is this, there is this time that, um, I don't know, li, li, my sister Lindsay had a, a, like a bow and arrow and a target. Did you have a target? Yeah, you did. Was that like Hunger Games? Hunger? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so, you, but we all know, like whether we've, whether we've shot a bow or not, we know like there's a bullseye, right? Like there's the real spot. And the problem for us is like I'd go out and do it. They had a field at my, my mom and stepdad's place. So you'd shoot it and it'd like launch into the grasses. And you're like, oh no, I got to try to find this thing. Sin is anytime you miss the mark. Sin is anytime you, you fall short of God's perfect standard. God looks at our life and he goes, I have a bullseye for you. And every time we don't quite hit it, this is sin. There are things that God invites us to do, ways that God invites us to live. And every single time that we go, no, I'm going to do it my way, I'm actually God here. That's what we're functionally saying. Listen, I know, God, you say that I should be someone that doesn't go around lying or slandering, but I really like how it feels when I put people down. And God goes, yeah, that's missing the mark. Every single time that you live in a way where you go, I know what I'm doing is wrong, and I'm going to do it anyway, it's missing the mark. The, the way that God intends us to live is, is as holy people, and every time we don't do that, we find ourselves missing the mark. And Jesus is emphasizing here, when we discover that in our lives, like when we go, I have sin in me. I have areas where I don't measure up. I have areas where I don't do what I'm supposed to do. I have areas where I, I know I fall short. That the perception or that the, the perspective here is that we need to have a posture of repentance. That when we acknowledge sin in our life, that we repent. Well, what does that mean? 
Repentance actually means to turn the other way. So I want you to imagine you're going, your life, and, and you're doing what you want to do, and you acknowledge there's some places that you're doing what you want to do even though God says not to. Repentance is when you go, I'm not going to do that anymore, and you turn the other way and go, I'm going in a different direction. It's not just us going, sorry, I don't really want to do that. It's us actually going, I'm choosing to go in a different direction to God. That's what repentance actually means. And so Jesus is inviting us to embrace that posture, this posture of repentance. We should always have a posture of turning. We should always, if we're learners, always see areas in our life where you go, I'm not measuring up, and we turn back to him. This quick acknowledgement of, I've fallen short, and I want what you want. I want your best. And often maturity is how quickly we move, how quickly God says something and then we respond. And the reminder is that in that posture of repentance where we acknowledge our sin, we don't have to run from God. Like we don't turn away from God and run in an opposite direction, we run back to him. And he's standing there with his arms wide open going, finally you came back, let me teach you how to live. Let me show you what it could actually be but it also means that we don't want to become complacent with the sin in our lives. Like, we don't want to live a life and go, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but eh, whatever. And then we can find stuff that excuses things, and we go like, well, you know, I had to do some mental gymnastics, but I, you know, I just, I want to do my own thing. I want to live my own life, and the things that God's saying that I should do, it just seems really hard, and I don't want to do that. That should not be our perspective. Like, we, the, the, boldest prayer we can pray is when we go, God, search my heart. Then you go, search my heart, and he does. And then you're like, oh man, I got work to do. What does it look like to embrace that posture of repentance? Sometimes we find ourselves doing the whole, like, well, did God really say, did he really? Like, that's probably a good sign that you're heading in a direction that's not helpful. You're like, well, did God, did God really say I have to be generous with other people and like forgive them? And say, no, doesn't He know people are the worst? Did He did He really say that I have to like sacrifice my time for other people that are in need? Because doesn't He understand it's COVID and I got things to do? Like whatever that is, we find ourselves excusing it, and I don't want us to be a people that excuse the sin in our lives. We want to invite God to confront it and actually deal with it. Where there is sin in our lives, we want to repent of it. We want to turn the other way, turn from it, and live our lives in alignment with the way of Jesus. And so in this, we ask God for forgiveness. We repent, and then we come back to him, and we go, forgive me for thinking that, that I'm a better leader of my life than you. Forgive me for the times that I, that I, I trust me, not you. And God forgives us, and we ask him, and Jesus is saying, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So we have this posture of repentance, and then we also have a posture of forgiveness. See, as Christians, we know how much we've been forgiven of. Like, we know this gift that God has given us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't do anything to earn it, and we've seen it. We know us. 
Like you look at your own life and you're like, I'm a mess. And God goes, yeah, I see all of that and I've forgiven you. And so when you understand how deeply you've been forgiven, how can you not give that to other people and go, I wanna forgive you because I've been forgiven. We live out of this place of experience and so it trickles out into every relationship around us. We don't exactly live in a time where forgiveness is a celebrated virtue, where we forgive people well. So we're like, pay the price more, 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 more price. I don't think you mean your forgiveness. I don't think you mean your apology. Have you ever noticed that there are people that really struggle to give people, like to actually forgive other people? And you know what I notice as a pattern? Um, they're not very aware of how deeply they need forgiveness. Like they're not self-aware people that go, man, like I'm a mess and I need help. They're like, no, I'm good. And everyone else? The worst, like super prideful, super arrogant, very few friends, <laughs> like, you know, you spend time with people like that and you go, because they don't get it. And then in contrast, I spend time with people that are Christians that have been Christians for a long period of time and not just Christians in name only, but have lived and actually apprenticed under Jesus. And they are more aware of their inadequacy, more aware of their need for Jesus and so attractive, because you see in them this posture of forgive me as I forgive others. Like this life that just exudes forgiveness, this posture of forgiveness. And it's so much better, and I honestly think the world desperately needs that. Like instead of this sense of going, we're gonna make everyone pay. Instead going, God, you're in control, and you hold justice in your hands. We know we've been forgiven of, and we just wanna, we wanna walk in what you are doing. And then we see in this, this next section, and, and don't let us yield to temptation. Here we find this invitation, God help us to notice temptation and help us not to give in. But here's the problem, okay, what's the cultural value? Cultural value is do whatever you want. Do what feels good. Is it gonna make you happy? Then do that. The problem is that that is not the kingdom of God. That God doesn't just go, it doesn't matter. Do whatever. Instead, God goes, I have a way of life for you. I have an invitation and it's separate from the world. It's a, it's a new way of living and it, and it does cost and also it's better. See, what happens is we believe the lie and we think this will set me free, but if you actually... For certainly the research, but if you actually think about it or spend time with people, you realize that lie, do whatever I want, as long as it makes me feel good, is not helping people. We have higher rates of depression and anxiety than ever before. High, high, high rates of people that are going, I am unsatisfied. So wait, you're telling me you get to do whatever you want and it's still not enough? Is it possible that there's a lie there that we believed that is not from God? Absolutely. And so in this, Jesus is inviting us to a new way of living that actually is surrendered to God's best in every single area, not our preferences, not our comfort, not, not the areas that we go, yeah, I like this and not this, all of it, in all areas, a new way of life. We actually in that acknowledge, I'm not God. Like he actually knows better than me. And so when I'm like, no, 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 I think I know what the right thing to do, I think this is, he goes, um, Who's God here? And where we get off track and we go, me? And he goes, really? 
And then you come face to face with things and you go, yeah, that didn't provide what I hoped it would provide. That seemed to fall flat. We pray in this that we choose and invite him to to provide his way, not our way. We're also praying, God, help us to see where we're tempted. Like, help us to see the places where we find ourselves drawn to, that we feel the struggle. Let's be honest, all of us have them. All of us have struggles. We all have things that we go, oh, this is hard for me, and I find that I can trust God in all these other areas, but this, I don't know if I can do it. The beautiful thing is, if we actually are willing to acknowledge in community where those things are, they have less power. Instead, what we do is, I hide it, because I'm perfect. None of us are perfect, but no, no, because I can't let people in, because what if I let people in and they see the real me, and then what if they reject me? But in that, we believe the lie that somehow we need to pretend like we're all perfect. Instead, we go, all of us desperately need God. Here's where I notice that I really struggle and need him. And then together we pray, not just, we, we don't just acknowledge like, well, that's my temptation, so it's my cross to bear. No, we go, and then we pray, God, help us not to yield to that. Like, help us not to look at that temptation and go, whatever, I can do whatever I want, but instead to live my life in accordance to you and flee from that. Some of us flirt with it. We flirt with our temptation. We're like, well, how close can I get to the, you know, it's fine. It's not hurting me yet. And then we're like, and fall down the cliff. And we're like, wow, what happened? The invitation that Jesus gives us in other passages is flee. You know what flee looks like? Running as fast as you can. It's interesting even when you think about repentance as turning the other way and it's actually walking. And maybe the invitation to repent as we flee from our temptation is to sprint back to God, like as quickly as we can to run back to him and to invite him to to heal us and help us and guide us in every single area of our lives. Four verses, a short little prayer where God, Jesus speaks powerfully. So let let me just read it and then hit a couple of things. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. And you know what I noticed as I was, as I was spending time is in this prayer, we find things that we can struggle with. Like I unpacked each of those and I'm willing to bet for all of us that one of those things you go, yep. That's hard for me. This is where I struggle with prayer. This is where I struggle in following Jesus. Pay attention to that. Invite God to actually show you. Maybe it is the father component. Like we started with father and you go, that's hard for me because my dad was horrible. And I look at God and go, if that's the representation, then I don't know if I want it. I'm so wounded and frustrated. Listen, I get it. But God actually wants to tell a new story in your life. And you know what's amazing too about the church is that there are actually people in the church that can re-represent God to you. Like I've had had messy stuff with my dad and then I had a grandpa who was not perfect at all but restored and showed me what it meant of who Jesus was and how much God loved me as my father, my heavenly father. So maybe you recognize there's some wounding there. And 
um, there's going to be an invitation in between. They, they're going to have worship, and we're going to respond in worship. But the prayer team's going to be the back. If you go, there's some wounding for me. Don't just sit there and go, suck it up. Another week. Go to the back and, and say, will you pray for me? Like, I, I'm really struggling to see God and not through the lens of my own dad. Maybe it's the reminder that he is holy. And you become so complacent and comfortable with him. You're like, whatever. It's just, it's just buddy God, my friend. And yeah, there's friendship, but also we're missing the, the idea that he is the creator of the universe and worthy of all of our praise and honor. And maybe it's flipping the script a little bit to go, I think I've become too complacent with who you are. Maybe it's the providing part. And you go, I have struggled to actually believe that he provides because I prayed, God, provide for my needs and he did not come through. And I doubt, do you actually care? Do you actually want to come through? Maybe it's going like, I actually need to be reminded that he is my provider. And I struggle to pray because I think he's somewhat disinterested. Maybe it's this perspective of repentance where it's been a while since you've actually turned from the sin in your life, the places that you struggle, and you go, the invitation before you come to God, as you come to God, is to turn back to him. It's to go, I want you, I need you. And right now he's whispering or he's knocking on the door of your heart and he's going, you know there's stuff. Don't leave it there, come back to me. Maybe it's forgiveness. And it's the invitation to actually forgive other people and you've been holding on to bitterness and you've been looking at other people going, yeah, I've been forgiven, but not you. You don't deserve it. And God's shaping you and changing you and going, if you saw my kids, all of them, like I saw them, you would not respond like this. And the invitation then is to come back to God, our Father, and go, shape me, transform me, and change me. Maybe it's temptation. Like maybe you find yourself, you've, you've either given in lately or you feel this pull. You go, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to yield to temptation in my life. I don't want to live like that. I want something different. And the invitation is to turn from that. Again, let me remind you that when we bring things into the light, it has no power anymore. And so if you're in a co-group, Talk to some people you love and trust. If you have close friends that are strong Christians, share with them what you're, what you're feeling and struggling. If you know that there's places where there can be safety, where that person, like, here's how you know. If you share, hey, I'm really struggling with this, and the person goes, oh, huh, not safe. Not a safe person. But if the person goes, yeah, I, you know, I struggle in this area, and it's really hard for me, then you go, okay, now I can actually be honest. And that's what we want to do at Collective. Like, we just... We don't want to pretend like we have it all figured out. Instead, we want to follow the way of Jesus together. And so I don't know what it is. I don't know which area it is. I want to invite you into two things. I want you to invite you to, to reflect, to actually pray, God, show me. If he hasn't and if he has, then I want you to respond. But even as we worship, I, I want you to, to consider the second thing is, do I need to go to the prayer team and just ask for prayer? Like our prayer team Listen, the whole thing is we don't want you just to go figure it out on your own, send you out the week and go, best of luck, hope it works out. No, we want to cover you in prayer. We want to stand with you, our prayer team. And it's not like one of those things that the prayer team hears whatever you're navigating and they go, I got to tell everyone. 
Like they sit and they're with you and they intercede with you on behalf of, of what you're navigating and they stand in the gap and go, sometimes we need someone else to pray for us and believe when we are struggling to believe. So I wanna invite you to reflect. God, what is the area that is holding me back or that I'm struggling? Where are you speaking to me? And I wanna invite you to respond. Would you stand up and we're gonna pray and then we're gonna, we're gonna worship in response. God, I am so grateful. I'm grateful that you are close and yet you are majestic. God, I'm grateful that you are our heavenly father and yet you are also holy beyond our understanding. God, help us to see the areas in our lives where we need you. Speak to us. But don't just let it be a conversation between you and I, but instead an invitation into deeper community. God, thank you for the people that you put place around us. Thank you for our prayer team. Thank you that you draw us close. And whether we pray long prayers or simply, God, help, God, you hear us and desire us. Confront the, the backwards thinking, the disordered thinking that we have about you. God, as we worship, we lift our eyes to you and put you in your right place. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday.